Welcome to another edition of Hockey the Podcast. Tokyo is now long in our shadows. It's a, a distant memory, but not really that distant at all. It was a thrilling competition. We had our Talking Tokyo daily. We had uh, international stars that had uh, graced the, the tourists for South Africa over the years, joining us and talking about it. But of course, not just were we talking about the South African teams, we were also talking about the South Africans. And one of them came home with a gold medal and that is none other than Red Hulkett, assistant coach to the Netherlands women's side, who were all conquering and emerged victorious over Argentina, 3-1 in the final. A complete dominant tournament. And uh, well, another South African with a gold medal joining uh, Ned Fulton, an ex-teammate of his uh, with a gold medal. So, you don't want to hear too much from me. You want to hear from the man who's probably still got a hangover from all the celebrations. Rhett, welcome to the show. Thanks, Siren. Great to be uh, with you guys and talking all things hockey. Thankfully, my hangover has uh, stopped, but uh, <laughs> there might be a reason to celebrate after being a guest on this uh, on the show. Oh, it's been a long time coming. I mean, what people won't know, Rhett, is that uh, you and I have actually worked together many times over the years. Uh, you, uh, my, uh, you wrote uh, back when I was still all things W. You wrote the Rhett Diaries from the Commonwealth Games. We did interviews together and it's it's been a very, very cool journey to see your career go the way it has gone. And yeah, although you never got to taste the uh, Olympic glory with South Africa, although uh, you did get the opportunity to go, uh, it must be really special to taste uh, to have tasted the Olympic glory now in Tokyo with the, the Netherlands woman. Absolutely. I mean, first part of your question there, definitely it's been great working with you over the years and everything you've done for SA Hockey is, yeah, shouldn't be glossed over. I think uh, you've been a constant voice and uh, opinion, all things hockey in South Africa. And I know everyone in the hockey community is grateful to have this mouthpiece in order to yeah, express views and discuss all things hockey. So thank you to you. It's been great playing a small part in your journey. And in terms of the Dutch woman's success at the Olympics, I mean, it is still a bit surreal if I look back at the entire year and also even further, the previous sort of eight years, maybe even stretching as far as 10 years in terms of what that team has managed to achieve and how consistently good they've been to play a small role and to have a responsibility in that journey and in that success is a serious privilege. Yeah. What, what many people won't know, Rhett, is how, how did it pop up? How did it come about that Alison Annan picked up the phone, gave you a call and, and <laughs> joined you into the staff? Uh, it's a very good question. I'm still not entirely sure how it all happened, but I think it <laughs> was... A uh, moment of madness from Alison, I'm guessing. No, um, to be honest, they had the, because of COVID and because of the Olympic Games being uh, delayed by a year, the Lucas judge, the assistant coach, then took an opportunity at Stixer to become the head coach and naturally had to step away from his role with the Dutch women's side. So there was a vacancy and it was quite a different vacancy because it was only for one year. 
And they were looking for someone to come in that was okay with the fact that was it was a short contract and someone that would bring a new perspective and a fresh set of eyes and ask different questions and be more defensively minded and look at the Dutch team with a defensive point of view. And luckily, I happened to fit the requested criteria. And it was basically started with a WhatsApp message uh, from Alison asking if I was available to talk about hockey. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to talk about hockey. No problem. And then when the phone call came around and she asked me the question of, do you know why I'm phoning? The reality sunk in that this was in theory, the first interview. And I think my hand shook so tremendously. The video image of the video, you know, the WhatsApp call was it probably seemed as though I was uh, experiencing an earthquake. It was, <laughs> it was quite, uh, quite nerve wracking, but also not in a bad way, in a very exciting, in an exciting way. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously, if we, we look at it, it then led to you uh, going over to Tokyo. And, and the Dutch side is special. Uh, you were also with them at the European Championships. It's a, it's a special Dutch side, but going into a tournament like that, where you are the favorites, as we saw in 2016, uh, has its own challenges because uh, many teams are just uh, considering and they play the Dutch, uh, obviously, that they're going to lose. Or alternatively, they set up their biggest and uh, best performance against the side. It must also be quite a weird phenomenon for you. That's no, very different. Um, but I think the biggest respect and strength of the Dutch national team is that they are comfortable with the role of being the favourite. And in saying that, they are never happy with how they play you know they are never happy standing still they want to always find somewhere or some area of their game that they can do better and somewhere where they can improve and something they can do that's going to keep them at number one you know and you see it a lot in sport where teams reach number one and that's been their goal and then they struggle to stay there and it's like anything I suppose you set a goal and then you achieve it and then guess what, the next day the sun rises and life goes on. So you need to also be ready to continue after you've achieved your goal. And I think that's the biggest strength of this team uh, is that they are never happy settling and they are happy being chased and they are happy setting the standards and they relish in it, you know, and not in an arrogant way, but in a way that they are realistic with, the, the generation they have and the talent they have and the hockey they can play. So it was interesting for me being in that sort of mental space, but really cool to learn from them. And also, you know, just accepting the fact that every team we play against is going to play their very best game and, you know, be okay with that. And, and Rhett, what happens now? Is the role continuing till the World Cup, uh, continuing forward? Or, or where do you stand as, as at this point in time? Uh, at this point in time, I'd like to plead the fifth and uh, consult my lawyers before answering that question. <laughs> um, so the 
contract was always for one year and then the conversations were happening with the possibility to extend up into uh, the World Cup with Alison's extension in her contract up into the World Cup. Uh, there were other factors in play that needed to be considered from a life perspective for me and my wife and our goals as a family and wanting to start a family. So, yeah, it was a decision that took a long time, but eventually a decision was made. And I'm still not entirely sure what I can and cannot say in terms of media. But for me, it's the decision that we did make was based on the right priorities. And I have complete peace of mind with the decision that we did make. That was incredibly well answered for someone from a hockey background who we don't have as much <laughs> media involvement as maybe some others but uh, well played well played uh rick look before we dive a little bit more into your journey um and the dutch woman as we said are a very very special team um i mean obviously ava de gooder gets a lot of the attention we know that uh margot uh, van Geffen, we know her quite well um, you know, but but pl- players like Felice Albers, Maria Fasquer, I mean, we, we saw uh, Kaya from, from Masaka, who obviously had a sensational final. We've got Frederica Mata, who is like just a goal-scoring machine. I mean, it, it's almost at the point where they could select a B team that would be the silver medalists, uh, just because that's the talent they're leaving out right now. No, absolutely. It is a, it's a sort of golden generation at the moment and the balance of experienced players with young players in the team uh, affords the younger players to play with freedom and to not have to you know, take on the responsibility of leadership and those sorts of roles. So for them, I think the, the freedom that they get is great and they get to play, you know, and the senior players get to lead and to control the tempo of the game and make big decisions. Um, so it, it really is a, a special group. I think the talent that is in the Netherlands at a young age, strangely, is no different to the talent in South Africa at a young age. The difference for me is the structure after school. So the league and how competitive it is and how professional it is and how there's also a structure in place for players that are outside of the Dutch under 21 side. So there was a potentials group and this group was selected for players that were over the age of 21, not in the national program, but still playing extremely high level hockey in the Hofklasse. And we did a lot of work with that group and eventually ended up playing games against the national team with that group and games against the Dutch under 21 team. So already just looking at that, you've got three teams of an exceptionally high caliber playing against each other. And that was a huge strength and bonus for us during COVID when we couldn't play international hockey against other countries. So there, again, you're taking a group of players that may get lost in another country or in another system and keeping them attached and keeping them challenged and making them better. And then you see players such as Stella van Gils, who played in the Euros, who was part of that 
potentials group. I mean, she never made a Dutch representative age group side her whole career. And now she was a reserve at the Olympic Games. So that is sort of the proof that if you are willing to invest in people and in players that, you know, may develop at a later stage, it's only going to be better for the entire group and the team later on because, yeah, if you are creating an environment that's competitive but where the players are making each other better, then it's only going to result in, in good things. Brett, the other, the other thing that was striking at this Olympic Games was the South African involvement in other teams. Yourself, the likes of Dave Staniworth, uh, Wayne Lombard, um, Greg Clark, Craig Fulton. You know, we, the list goes on and on. We, we see Ross Willis uh, working with Ireland, Craig Seaman with Canada. Um, you know, I'm probably forgetting a few. But, you know, we've got a very big South African contingent now starting to work across, across the globe. So, I mean, twofold question is, A, what needs to happen for South Africa to be able to benefit from these great minds? And B, uh, why? Why are South Africans so good that the, the top nations in the world want South Africans involved? <laughs> I think we are experts at exporting talent. Uh, if you look across every sport, cricket, rugby, um, I think even golf, you know, they're guys who are... South Africa as a sporting nation is incredibly talented. And I always refer back to the standard of school sport in South Africa is arguably the best in the world, at least in the top three. You know, so for me, the structure in place after school is the big question mark and where we fall down uh, as a nation to harness and further develop that talent. You know, a sportsman is not always ready at the age of 19 to make the next step. And they need support and they need help and they need further development, you know, and we seriously miss a beat in South Africa at that level, in, in my opinion. Unless you go to a top university, you, a top sporting university, you know, you, you, you're going to struggle to make that next step as an athlete, which is sad. And I think the, the involvement from the coaching staff all over the all over the world is great, you know, and it's, I always encourage people and players to go overseas to experience something new, to learn, to, you know, have difficult conversations about your beliefs of the game and to challenge yourself and to challenge others with your uh, ideas and, and beliefs of the game. And that's how you grow. You know, I think sometimes the focus is too much on the individual as a coach and what it is for them, how it benefits them. And you've got to understand, I think as a coach and something I've learned is that it's not about you. You know, it's about the team and the players. So go out and go learn and bring it back and make, make people better. And how do we do that? How do we share how does South Africa benefit from all the knowledge and experience we have out there? I suppose through platforms like this, you know, talking about it and asking questions and learning from one another and just understanding that, you know, it's not all a big secret. Why, why aren't coaches talking more to each other and having conversations and sharing information and knowledge? I mean, 
the game of hockey is not going to change. It's 11 against 11. But how you play it is dependent on the coach and the players and the players you have. So, yeah, there are a million ways to skin the cat. So, I don't know. I think share the information, ask questions, contact someone, say, can we have a chat? I'd like to pick your brain on this or, you know, that, that would be... That would be the answer for me for for that question. Yeah, I, I mean, and and anyone who wants to, I mean, I know uh, Greg Clark has already said he'll come on board when he's back in South Africa at the end of the month. Uh, we reached out. Yeah. We've re- we've already had contact with Craig Fulton, who'll be coming on board when he's got an opportunity. So, you know, the guys are willing. You just have to to ask. Uh, yeah, Rick, exactly. You know. Yeah, uh, Rick. The other thing was obviously in Tokyo. You you were there and. Good mates of yours, ex-teammates, guys who played 100 test caps with you in the likes of Rossi, Tim, uh, Ozzy, they all were still playing. Uh, was there a little part of you that wished you were still out on that field or are you uh, fully comfortable enjoying retirement? You know, you're not the first person to ask me that question. And no, there was no, <laughs> no remorse or no regrets uh, with the decision I made to stop when I stopped. I always, the, the goal after the disappointment of Rio was to keep playing. And that was my intention. Uh, World Cup 2018 and then 2019 sort of just had this feeling that I was done. You know? And it wasn't, it was probably a combination of things, but just mentally I had that thought and that I just thought, no, I think that's it. You know? And I spoke to Springs about it and he was pretty upfront as Springs is, which I like. And I was upfront about it. And I just said, I think that's it, you know? And, and that was that. And there was peace with that decision for me. Uh, but it was great to see the guys at the Olympic Games playing on that stage because that's where we belong as a, as a hockey playing nation. It was hard when I do, went to watch to not coach from the sideline, but <laughs> I kept my mouth shut and supported and, uh, yeah, it was cool. Uh, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of seeing people that you are friends with or people that you know doing well. You know, it's nice to see good things happen to good people. Well, you say that, and, and I think it's true. I mean, when we posted congratulations to you, and uh, I mean, our social media actually exploded with a reaction to that. Um, <laughs> South, South Africans, I mean, yeah. Uh, you're right up there with uh, Ava de Gouda's three gold medals. Uh, no, 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 we're close. No, we're close. Well, you are in the South African public. They love it. They they think it's amazing. It's great to see. And, and again, um, as you say, it, it must have been nice uh, to be able to have that opportunity to meet the South Africans. I know, know the Tokyo games were played under the cloud of COVID, but uh, there was the opportunity to at least see each other, greet each other, support each other, and there must have also been a little uh, lift in your steps, seeing how well the guys did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was great to catch up, albeit briefly, in passing uh, with a lot of the guys here or there. And um, yeah, it, it is. It's I don't know. South Africans are awesome because we are happy to see South Africans. You know, no matter where you are in the world, there's a South African. I mean, I remember walking down the street in uh, the Netherlands. I think. First week we were there and I had someone crying and you know, like a butt, how's it? And I sort of stopped and laughed and looked up and said, how's it, man? And they were like, no way, South Africans. You know, we are we, we are everywhere. And it's it's cool, I think, to see 
fellow countrymen all over the world. And when you know them and you're friends with them and you get to see them, especially after everything that's happened in the world, you know, not being able to see people that you usually can just go and see and visit and spend time with, that made it even more special. And to do it in an environment such as the Olympics, where there is already a heightened sense of, yeah, the, the environment inside the Olympics is something that you can't explain to someone unless you've experienced it. It's just different. It's different to the Commonwealth. It's different to a World Cup. It's just something truly unique that will, yeah, it sits in your, it sits in your bones. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was really cool and really chuffed for the team that they managed to put in some amazing performances. And uh, at a stage, I thought quarterfinal spot, you know, but unfortunately it wasn't meant to be for them. Uh, but still, in terms of the program they had and the prep they had and the time they spent together and the funding comparative to the other nations, they can be very proud of the way they performed uh, at the Olympic Games. Now, you, of course, uh, were part of the 2012 Olympic Games. How would you categorize the major difference, obviously, other than COVID, between Tokyo and London? Well, I was playing in London and I wasn't playing in Tokyo. There's one major <laughs> difference for me. <laughs> um, I think. The appreciation from the London hockey community was very noticeable. And I don't know if it would have been the same in Tokyo based on the geography, but the Japanese public are also very understanding and respectful of hockey. We had a bit of a crowd in our one practice game against Japan, which was quite cool. But yeah, I think London was just a well-organized event as a whole. You know, everything was just so incredibly efficient. You know, trust the, the United Kingdom to organize something. You know, they are the, the kings and queens of organizing. And Japan was very similar. Everything was a couple of hiccups in the beginning, but then problem solved within one day. Um, I can't really pinpoint too many differences i think uh, from what i heard in rio there was a bit of a logistical problem and the distance from the village to the field was a lot further so yeah i think it's just dependent on the games and the country and how it's run and where it's set up etc but for me there weren't too many noticeable differences that stood out the only difference for me was obviously the the feeling of being on the sideline this time around compared to being on the pitch in London. But both equally special. And and where would where would the Olympics rank? I mean you, you had a, a, a glittering uh career where you got to play a lot of countries around the world. You got to go to Commonwealth Games, you got to go to uh, World Cups, Olympics, you traveled a lot of the world, you played hockey in, in Germany at the end of the day. You know, where, where does the Olympics stack up against all the places you've been? I think the Olympics is the top of the pile for any athlete across any sporting code, you know. Um, even if you look at a sport like golf, you know, an Olympic medal is not something you can get every weekend. So there's something special about the Olympic Games and what it represents and the diversity of all the events and the disciplines 
Um, so yeah, for me, I think the Olympics was always the top. Uh, the World Cup, the Hockey World Cup, also has an amazing feel to it because you know that it is hockey only, sports specific, and the history that goes into the Hockey World Cup is huge. You know, you see that trophy and you see all the names and the years and you know that this is the best of the best at uh, at a World Cup, you know, and... Commonwealth Games, I find, is also a really enjoyable tournament. I think possibly from the point of view that South Africa as a nation should be looking at a semi-final spot at the Commonwealth Games. You know, whereas if you go to the Olympics, you have to be a little bit more realistic and say, okay, if we can finish five to eight, that's a very successful tournament for us as a hockey-playing nation. But every kid's dream, I think, is to go to the Olympics, you know. So it is, and I hope always will be the the pinnacle of hockey. And uh, what's the is the bug now bitten that you'd love to lead a team yourself one day to the Olympics as the coach? Yeah, I mean, if someone's silly enough to give me the opportunity, then great, I'll take it with uh, with both hands. Of course, the the experience of being an assistant and having been an assistant in Germany with the Uhatse Damas was also great. You know, it was a team stacked with German internationals and yeah, it's different being an assistant to being a head coach. And I would like to experience what it is like to be a head coach and to be responsible for a team. Uh, sure. If someone later down the line is willing to trust me with the role, then yeah, it would be very hard for me to say no to because I'd love to be able to work with a team and to do my very best to make them better and to make the team better. And Ruth, obviously your life is now based over in Europe. It's uh, for the foreseeable future. Is that where you plan to be? For sure. I think... Uh, Europe, United Kingdom, definitely on in the Northern Hemisphere, shall we say. But again, you know, if you had asked me two years ago or said to me two years ago, you're going to be going to the Olympics with the Dutch women's team, I would have laughed and probably bought you another beer. You know, it's strange how the world works and you never know what's around the next corner. And if you are open to it, you know, things things happen. I, I truly believe that. Um, so my answer for now is yes, we will be based in the Northern Hemisphere uh, as it stands. But who knows what the next four years will bring, what opportunities may arise, what decisions we'll have to make. But for now, for us, this is uh, the best place for us to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rhett, and then just uh, a lot of people, you know, obviously in COVID, we lost track of everything that was going on. When, when you... <laughs> yeah. Mr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, it's always been tough to find information about South Africans playing abroad. That's uh, something that we're working on and stuff. But, uh, you know, once you, you hung up your, your stick from Hamburg, uh, where are you playing or coaching now for the benefit of all listeners? Um, so after Uhatse, we had a good season. I really enjoyed my season there. I was off the back of five four great years at Mannheim and before that four good years in Holland and then we 
moved to Scotland. I got a good role at a school, private school, co-ed private school as the head of hockey and was doing a lot of coaching and really just sort of exploring my skill set as a coach and learning from uh, from kids. You know, you can always learn. And uh, then moved to Holland and I got an assistant coaching role at a club in Bloemendaal, uh, HBS, where I coached with uh, Yami Krokom and played as well. So I was assistant coach and player. So it was a lot of fun, you know, playing uh, in the promotion cluster and coaching. You know, it was sort of not something that I'm not used to, having done it at cricket club quite a bit. And to an extent at Fisher with Wayne Den, you know, playing and always talking about the game and coaching and being involved from a coaching viewpoint too. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we, that's where I am. Uh, I don't think I'll play anymore, to be honest. I think not that I physically can't, but I just think mentally the challenge for me lies more in the coaching side of things. And I'd like to use all my energy to do that, you know, and if I'm still playing, then you still I don't know, want to play well. I just have it in me that if I'm going to do it, then I want to do it properly. So I don't think you'll see me playing any competitive league hockey anywhere. I say that now, but you know, in two months time, I might be on the pitch again, but I think it's, it's done, you know, for me as a player, I enjoy the coaching so much that I don't have any you know, feeling of, oh, I wish I could still play. And uh, obviously being up there in the Northern Hemisphere, there is a, a little season that comes up in the in a couple of months called the indoor hockey season. Uh, although it wasn't your forte so much uh, in outdoor, you, you have played a couple of games here and there. Is that also where you'll get involved in the indoor side or are you strictly a 11-a-side man? I love indoor, man. And, uh, you know, just because you don't play it doesn't mean you don't uh, enjoy it. You know, I really enjoyed indoor and I played a lot at varsity. We actually had quite a nice team uh, with the Northerns at a stage because we had a lot of Maritzburg players come up to Tux. And I think we finished second in a couple of IPTs under 21 and then fared okay in the men's and then a couple of semifinals. So this is before, you know, social media and stuff. So it was uh, easy to to go unnoticed but I think the reason I didn't play in Germany and in Holland was December was the only time of the year where we had time off you know if you look at the international calendar you usually have something in January then your European league starts then you come back and it's international hockey then you go back again for the start of the season September and then before you know it it's December and you need to rest. The, the bottom line is you need physical and mental rest. And December, January was the time where I I did that. And sure, I would have loved to have played in Germany and learned and experienced it. And I mean, I probably would have played in the seventh team, but it still would have been cool. Um, yeah, so from a coaching side of things, absolutely. You know, indoor, outdoor, um, five aside, 11 aside, at the end of the day, you are dealing with people. And, you know, you want to try and make people better. And if uh, you can do that, you get better hockey players. Rich, you obviously were a defensive powerhouse 
back in the day. Um, you didn't score. <laughs> you didn't score a lot of goals. I, I mean, listen. One of the 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 ways that we would describe you is the most willing um, stand in kicking back ever, and you seem to you seem to thrive in that in that role. But uh, over your career, you did manage to score a couple of goals. Is there any goal that really stands out for you? Um, I think my first goal will always stand out. Uh, first international goal. But then also a couple of club goals that I really enjoyed. You know, there's something special about club hockey and playing hockey with guys that you are mates with and going on tours mm-hmm. and, you know. But I think my specialist goal scoring technique would always be from a corner or from uh, the penalty spot. So you, w- you wouldn't see a Lloyd Norris Jones type backhand flying into the top right corner from me. But uh, Someone's got to pass the ball to Lloyd. So thankfully I got to do that a few times in my career too. Yeah, I, I myself was a defender, not not at close to uh, your level of ability, but um I I once scored probably the goal of the season. And I, I have told the story <laughs> before, but it was fluke. It was we still had long corners you, back you, then. You don't have to tell you don't have to tell people it was a fluke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I completely meant it. It was a long yeah. corner. <laughs> And it came into the D and we were actually playing on grass and a guy went to river ball and I ducked, but when I ducked, I didn't lower my stick and it hit my stick over my shoulder, looped over the keeper's head and into the back of the net. It's a good finish. Yeah. Everybody went crazy. And I was like, yeah, I meant that. (laughs) I then had to go change my underwear, but it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think there was always something about, defending or organizing and being able to set things up and provide structure and be a foundation that I enjoyed. You know, I didn't, I wasn't after the, the goal scoring probably because my skill set suited, yeah. suited me better. I wasn't fast and, you know, I was always, I could always see things. I don't know. That's probably not the right uh, sporting explanation but I always just had a good sense of the game and I was comfortable when things were happening and could usually predict or see what was coming next you know and that I think saved me a lot at international hockey because like I said I still am not the fastest international hockey player that ever was but if you know where to stand then you don't have to be fast which was uh, which was fortunate for me I mean look uh, you know, you were talking to the defenders union, whether it was soccer or uh, or hockey. You know, I played defense. Yeah. It was just something about that that last ditch tackle or that clearance off the line. It's just it, you must yeah. feel as good as a guy feels when he scores a goal. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think it's just about playing your role for the team. You know, and if you can do that, then you know that the team's going to be in a better position and taking pride in whatever you have to do. You know, whatever your role is embrace it and do it to the best of your ability and it's going to make the team better. You know, if everyone's doing that on the field, then all of a sudden you become a pretty good team. Absolutely. Reta, if you go back over your career, um, over 150 caps for South Africa, uh, I know it's always a harsh question that Derek and I ask. And uh, uh, for those wondering where Derek is, he hasn't been fired. He's just at his day job and couldn't get out. But <laughs> is there is there a game that stands out as, or, or maybe even a top three games that like 
when you're having nightmares at night and you want to go to sleep, you look back at those and they make you happy and you sleep well? Um, good question. I think the game against GB at the London Olympics was a good game, obviously, because we were we had probably five supporters in the crowd. <laughs> but walking out to London calling and singing the anthem and hearing God Save the Queen, you know, that was something that will stay with me for, for a lifetime. And then the the silence when we scored, you know, that was also deafening. <laughs> I think everyone in the whole of London heard uh, John T celebrating when he scored uh, scored that goal. But yeah, that one stands out for me. Um, I think Africa Cup, Joburg was also a good one. From a personal point of view, I flew in late. I had European commitments arrived. The team was in a seriously good space and you know considering everything that was going on in the background with will they send us to Rio if we qualify won't they uh, it was a lot of uncertainty but as a team we managed to push that aside and perform well and get the job done and you know the goal and the crowd and the support we had there was fantastic yeah it really was uh, it really was a cool moment. I think we also had a few players injured. I think Tane had a broken hand. Uh, I'm not sure if Austin, I don't think Austin was there either. So it wasn't, you know, there were a lot of guys with a lot of experience also missing. And it was, you know, that stands out for me that the group came together considering the circumstances and, and performed to a very high, very high standard. That was cool. And then my debut stands out. First Cap versus Germany in Bloemfontein. They just, yeah, they were, I mean, they were the all-conquering German side for a long time and I got to make my debut against them, which was great. And I enjoy playing against the best because it makes you better. So that was good. Now, and, uh, you know, over all the years and all the tours, who, who was the best roommate that you ever had? Oh, I'm I'm gonna offend someone when I say this, but uh, I was usually stuck with Lloyd, Tim, or Austin, and then I had a stint with Gowan for quite a while, which was cool. And they're all very different individuals, and uh, all have their own strengths as uh, roomies. But uh, Tim Drummond is one of those human beings that is great to room with because a lot of the time he's never there, but then there's like something there for you with your name on it because he wakes up at three and does a triathlon and then, you know, you don't see him until breakfast and then you see him again in the evening. Uh, so he was he was really cool to room with. I think Austin also, the room was always clean, which is great, and he always had treats. Always had sweets somewhere stashed away, which was great. Had a lot of good movie uh, movie nights with Ozzy on tour. Uh, Lloyd, I had a huge stint with leading up to London and World Cups, and uh, yeah, I mean we go, we've known each other for a long time, so that was also easy to to room with. Uh, um, yeah, so I don't know, I, I don't, uh, I can't pick a favorite town like uh, like a kid with too many toys. You know, it's hard to choose one. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a parent with two kids and they say pick a yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah. Who's your favorite? Yeah, yeah and exactly. most parents actually prefer one at a, you know, at different yeah, times. You don't, you don't you say, it, say out it out loud. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, Rhett, obviously uh, you've got to travel the world as well. I mean, where's the one place you've been 
because of hockey, uh, that you can't wait to get back to? Sure. I don't know. I mean, I always look at these experiences that you get in life and enjoy them for what they are. So you don't want to go to a place and then think, you know, regret that you didn't enjoy it when you were there and then have to go back, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I've always taken the experience and just thought, geez, that was amazing. You know, if I think about the Africa Cup, we did in Ghana. Like that was crazy. Like it was, I've never had an experience like that. And I don't think I will for, for quite some time. You know, the stands were packed every game. They had the Ghanaian Black Stars that support the football team there playing music 24-7. I mean, you couldn't hear each other on the field. It was just mental, but it was such a great atmosphere. And um, that, that tour, we played Egypt in the final. And for some other reason, the, the audio didn't work for our anthem. And, you know, the classic, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're having technical difficulties came over the loudspeaker. And I remember Thornton McDade looking down the line and just counted down basically three, two, one. And we just sang the anthem sort of a cappella. And it was, yeah, it was a sort of goosebump moment. And after that, we were like, well, we're definitely going to win this game, you know? So these sort of things that happen on tour stay with you so i don't know if it's the, yeah it's maybe a combination of the place but also things that happen while you're on tour make places stick out you know in your in your mind argentina was also cool i think it's also a case of you get to go to these places that you probably wouldn't go to on holiday you know if you like spin the globe and think oh let's go here you wouldn't end up like thinking yeah took them on argentina for example or yeah, let's go to uh, yeah, Kenya or, you know, there, there are a lot of places that you probably wouldn't go but get to go to because of hockey. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was always just excited to go on tour and grateful for the opportunity to go on tour and embrace the tour, you know, sometimes a little bit too much after the tournament ended. But, you know, you live and you learn. <laughs> well, and, and uh, I mean, obviously – one of the important parts of hockey is a good fan session. Did any country have uh, beverages that were more conducive to a good fan session than others? Uh, so sure. Important question, uh, Tyron. Mm. I don't think so. I think South Africans are head and shoulders above the rest when it comes to the fines uh, traditions, especially at, uh, I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but, you know, university is filled with a lot of very, very, very fond memories with a lot of very good people. Um, I do remember drinking some very large beers in Kenya, the Tusker, I think Tusker Lager. Those were very refreshing because Kenya was very hot. So those were good. Uh, but the beer in Japan was pretty tasty as well, I must say. Yeah. My head didn't. <laughs> my head didn't agree with it the next day, but at the time of drinking it, they were very. They tasted very good. It's amazing how that happens. So, um. Yeah, <laughs> strange, uh, and it's so consistent as well. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Yeah, it's it's the same. <laughs> uh, look, uh, Rhett, uh, we we're closing in on the the end of uh, this show. I mean, it's not the last time we'll have you on, definitely. But uh, yeah, I mean. 
we have a few kids and stuff that listen. What would be your message to them? Uh, you know, if they're dreaming big and they're hoping for uh, the opportunity to emulate what you've done in your career, what would be your message? I actually got asked this question the other day in a Q&A with um, kids on a hockey camp. And I think my answer is still don't be afraid of mistakes. You know, it's okay to make a mistake and it's not the end of the world. And it doesn't mean you're a bad hockey player. It doesn't mean that you played a bad game if you make a mistake, you know. Mistakes are there to teach us. Um, and, you know, you, you found one way how not to do it, basically, every time you make a mistake. Um, and be comfortable asking for help if you need it. You know, it's okay. I think we, uh, what I've learned, sometimes think that asking help is a sign of weakness. It's not. It's a sign of strength, you know, to, to admit that you need help. It is a sign of strength. And the, the last and most important thing is never to lose enjoyment of playing. You know, it was a huge focus at international level as well to have fun, you know, to enjoy it, to embrace the, the challenge and to enjoy it. Just have fun and play the game with a huge smile on your face whether you're winning 10-0 or losing 5-0, you play the game because you love it and never lose that, you know. Yeah, Rhett, absolutely. You, you embodied that. Uh, it's so cool to see that you've had success on the international stage as a coach. We look forward to seeing more of your story. And, and as I say, anytime you want to pop in and have a chat, let me know and uh, we'll hook it up. And yeah, um, thank you for the time this morning. And then, being willing to shift it around to fit my my diary <laughs> rather than the other way around. No, absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure, Tyron, and thanks a lot. And thanks again to uh, to you guys for all you're doing for for SA Hockey. And uh, this podcast is great. I look forward to listening to the episodes to come. And yeah, all the very best to you guys. And I'm sure we'll uh, chat again soon. Hopefully uh, on the golf course, you can show me around uh, Show me that uh, that swing of yours, that uh, Grace Leopard Creek, so so yeah. so elegantly. There we go. Next time you're in South Africa, you have a slot at Serengeti confirmed. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks a lot, All guys. Right. Shut. Cheers, right. All right. Thanks everybody for joining in. We're closing in on a hundred. Um, so stay tuned. Some big things planned. Some big news coming pretty soon. But it'll all be revealed in here. Remember, share with your friends, leave a comment, like, do whatever you want. Just make sure that uh, you keep a place for hockey stories to be told. See you soon. <laughs>